Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Happy Eating Podcast. We have a quick programming note regarding today's episode. We delve into the connection between our food choices, our emotions, and our brain. This episode is so packed with information and we uncover so much that we actually had to break this episode into two parts. We really wanted to give you specific takeaways and get down to the nitty gritty, and that's why we wanted to make the most of this episode. So, without any further ado, we present you part one of the Happy Eating Podcast, our healthy food choices, also happy food choices. Enjoy! So, today's topic is kind of a big one. How does your diet influence your mental health? And when we say diet, we don't mean weight loss diet per se. No. We're talking about your overall eating habits and patterns and how they help or hinder your depression and your anxiety. Yeah. Now, some people may say weight impacts their mental health, how they feel, but we're going deeper here. We're going a little deeper here. Um, Just like what you said, how your overall eating habits impact your risk for mental wellness. It's about time there started being research looking into this because for years we've been looking at how food affects blood sugar and diabetes and heart disease risk and almost everything else. Even bone health. Yes, but not how food affects your brain. It's crazy. So fun little fact, when I went to PubMed, and that's for for those who don't know, it's this the government website that catalogs published research. So it's a for us nutrition nerds, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at Carolyn here. I mean, it's like a treasure trove of, of fun stuff. But anyway, I digress. So I typed mental health and diet into PubMed, and it spit out more than 5,000 results, which I was really excited for about. For just mental health and diet? Yes, just mental health and wow, diet. Those four you're words. such a nerd, and I love it. So, of course, some of them might not be totally applicable, but still, like, 5,000. That's awesome. Yeah. We've got a good place to start. We do. And we're going to now cover all 5,000 studies. Just kidding. (laughs) All right. So we're going to look overall at – or we're going to look at the studies that look at overall diet patterns. And, again, diet patterns is is like patterns of what you eat. We're not going to talk about – we're not going to start out talking about specific foods. We're going to get there. Yes. But we're going to talk about what the research suggests about just general eating. And what it points to, if there is any kind of correlation or association with mental wellness. And and in that way, it's like, is there a particular diet that we should be following for mental wellness? Like, has the research even gotten that focused that we can say, ooh, eat this way, or ooh, don't eat this way? Yes, yes. And then we're going to jump into specific foods and nutrients. And now, you and I both... We write a lot of articles, or I'm guilty of writing articles, Seven Foods for Depression, Eight Foods oh, for I'm Anxiety. Right this isn't going to be like that. We are going to give you specific foods, but we're going we're gonna to go into depth a little bit more because um, usually if, like, one food is recommended, I'm just going to throw out there broccoli, then that doesn't mean it, broccoli is some miracle food that makes you happy. Usually there's other within the broccoli family that do the same thing. So we're going to, we're kind of going to make, try to give you some more usable information for when you go to the grocery. And then with the nutrients, we are going to talk about some of those supplements that you may, or some of those that you may need to supplement. And I think we're going to talk about a few of my favorites. 
Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> oh, yes. And then we will end, as we always do, with what we're actually doing. So that'll be fun. And, and what I, we're not doing. And what we're not doing. <laughs> but I, I will tease to try and get everybody to listen to the end. I think that they might find some surprising or hear some surprising habits that you and I both have and foods that we yes. eat. They, yes. They might be surprised and a little excited. I've got one big fault when it comes to my overall diet. Surprise, they let me be a dietitian, but more to come. I'll just supplement and I'm all good. So, Briarly, you said you did this PubMed search and 5,000 results. So, was there any overarching theme when it came to specific diets or overall diet characteristics that were associated with improved mental health there absolutely were awesome which is super exciting and here's the thing is that before i tell you what it was the part that i think is so exciting about the overall eating pattern is that it's really simple now some people might be upset because it's not catchy and cool but it's simple it's easy to follow it's good for other health conditions as well so which one are we talking about i am talking about the mediterranean diet I knew that's what you were going to say. Yes. So if you're familiar with the Mediterranean diet, Mm -hmm. then you might know that it's great for your brain health. So as, which, you know, Carolyn, you have a ton of knowledge in that department. So we know, uh, so it's nice to now know that it is also good for our mental health. It's good for your heart health. It's good for diabetes. It's good for weight control. I think the way I first, or in school, I'm, first associated the Mediterranean diet really with heart health because I think when we were in school that's where the bulk of the research was in how this diet because we were in that fat-free phase you know and this diet with olive oil like with fat showing these suggested that you could yeah nuts and have fat could reduce your heart disease risk and I think that but since then they've said it's not just heart health it's pretty much everything else it's so many other conditions Mm -hmm. So that's the cool part is that eating the Mediterranean diet or following the Mediterranean way of eating is has some really great benefits when it comes to mental wellness, when it comes to depression and a little bit anxiety, but most of them were were depression is what, you know, what I saw that they had looked at or symptoms of depression. So in 2017, yeah. I'm going to dive into a couple of Yeah, so of studies. give me some, don't overload us with too much, but give us some of the really key findings that you found that just really kind of stuck out to you that you felt were the very strongest. Yes. Okay, so there were two studies that I really would like to kind of like dig into a little bit. I mean, I know that you do this stuff all the time, Carolyn, but feel free to stop me if I'm like going into nerd land <laughs> and I need to explain <laughs> some of the terms that I'm using because it, it, it happens. It's a, a problem of mine. Okay. So in 2017, that was the year that they did the very first randomized controlled trial. What? 2017? Yeah, that was the first randomized controlled trial that they published on depression and diet. That is crazy. Yeah. Okay, keep going. What is a randomized controlled trial, please? So they have done other, they had done other studies up until this point, but the thing is, is that a randomized controlled trial is in the world of science, it's called like the gold standard. It's not with rats. No, (laughs) it is the best of the best when it comes to really looking at doing A 
yes. yields B. And right. defining a direct correlation or association. Right, exactly. So this one was done in Australia, and it was published in the journal BMC Medicine for anybody who wants to go look for it. But, um, all right, a randomized controlled trial. It is an experiment where they take the two study groups, or they take a group of people, and they randomly assign them to two different study groups. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So let's say it's me and Carolyn get split up. We don't, depending on the design of the study, we don't necessarily know what group we're in, right? right? So in this study, one group got the treatment that they're testing. I'll say that's you. And then... Oh, I'm getting the treatment? Yeah, you're getting the treatment. And then I'll be the group that doesn't get the treatment, so I'm the control. Exactly. Okay. So then... They compare, the scientists compare the two study groups. I'm still just defining what randomized okay. controlled trial is. And that is then, that the value here is that the random placement of us into these different groups helps eliminate other potential bias or what scientists will call confounding factors. Not to say that subjects or researchers would do that, but I, I think this is always a good um good approach your best approach yes yes exactly so like say for example because obviously this one looked at the mediterranean diet right say for example this one said like oh okay we're gonna look at mental health and the mediterranean diet i mean i would say well if you think the mediterranean diet's gonna help i want to be in that one yeah and And you might say you want to be in that one too and then let's say like you know less over there he decides that he doesn't want to be in that group because he doesn't want to give up his you know fast food drive through lunch habit. Well, you put me in the Mediterranean diet and you give me olive oil and red wine and bread and I'm happy. I, how do you, you? Could be a placebo effect. Exactly. Good point. Very good point. Okay. So hopefully we haven't lost everybody yet. <laughs> Here's what this particular okay. study. Back found. to the study. Okay. Yes. I'm the control. You're on the experiment. You're the experiment. You're the one that's going to get the treatment. So what did they do with this group of people? Okay. So they took these depressed adults okay all right and they gave they instructed them to eat what is called a modified mediterranean diet okay and then what they wanted to do then is that they looked at their depression symptoms okay okay so what is the modified mediterranean diet frankly i read the summary of it and i'm going to read it out to to you guys it doesn't seem all that different from what most of us would consider like the mediterranean way of eating so Basically, they had to bump up their vegetable and fruit intake. They wanted them to eat five servings of veggies a day, two to three servings of fruit a day, whole grains, three a day. Protein was really focused on, as you might expect, lean meat, poultry, eggs, and then plant-based proteins like tofu and legumes. And again, three servings of Mm -hmm. those a day. Unsweetened dairy, three servings. Fish, three servings a week. Nuts and seeds, three tablespoons a day. Olive oil, two tablespoons a day. And then they also had this, like, this other little focus on spices where where if you were in this, you know, Mediterranean way of eating, you were supposed to get a teaspoon on most days of turmeric and cinnamon. Gotcha. So I think that's probably the one part that, you know, we know that spices are a part of the Mediterranean diet. but. Why they focused on those two, I'm not exactly sure. You know, something that I think is important to point out here is this does not mean you can't have other things, but this is predominantly what the diet is based out of. Right. And I learned this when, because I've done a lot of work in inflammation and how to reduce inflammation with my cookbook, and 
the Mediterranean is really, in my opinion, is it works because it's reducing inflammation. And so I really looked into the Mediterranean diet. And, you know, you can have a little bit of sweets. You can lean beef. It's fine. It's But it's not an all or nothing thing. But what you, the foods that you just listed are your core components right. on a daily basis. Right. Exactly. And frankly, if you're focusing on that many servings of those items on a daily basis, there isn't a lot of room. You don't have much time for other things. For the other things. So in a way, there's that benefit of crowding out the less healthy choices. But also, you know, it's like you're supposed to increase your intake of these and make your make most of your diet these. So still, if there's a day where y- you go a little extra on something else, yeah, you still meet this overall dietary pattern over yeah. the course of a week. You know, right. side note, I have taken that approach, like the five vegetable a day approach, when I need to just get back on my healthy eating routine, or maybe it's after the holidays and, you know, want to get a pound or two off, is rather than focus on, you know, don't want to focus on calories, I don't have time to deal with macros, you know, I just say, okay, Carolyn, we're going to get at least five vegetables and fruits, primarily vegetables, a day. And when I do that, like, everything else falls in place. Like, I'm with you. Know? you. I it mean, it kind of works for some reason. And I've told people this before because it just simplifies healthy eating. And it's not that that's all I'm eating at all. But when you focus your meal planning around getting that in, it just it works for some reason. It, it does. No, I totally agree with you. And you know my love of fiber. Mm. And so I always focus on trying to get more fiber into my diet. And it's it's the same, same thing. vehicle. It's yeah. fruits and veggies and, you know, more and whole grains for me too. But I know it just, it, it's so, and I'm like, why does this work? It's too simple. But maybe we're making it. Maybe we're more complicated it than it has to be. So these depressed adults ate yes. this modified Mediterranean diet. And what they saw was that there was a significant improvement in their depression symptoms. So when they compared the group that ate the modified Mediterranean with the control group, the one that didn't eat it. Correct. Overall, they saw an improvement in depression symptoms in the group who ate the modified Mediterranean wow. diet. So that's big because it like if you want to dig into it, it's like statistically – it was all statistically significant. So that means that it was – there was a large and powerful enough effect yeah. that the statistics were swayed into the significant category. And just for context, like there is a there are a fair amount of research studies out there where the trend in the direction of improvement is positive, but when they actually like run it through the mathematical models, it's not it's not statistically significant. significant. Yeah. So basically like there was enough of an improvement in that group that they saw that they saw depression symptoms improve in a way that was statistically significant but also there's this other cool little part is that 32% of the mediterranean diet eaters actually went into what they called remission from their depression wow yes so now whether or not they went off medication or they were on medication that i can't i don't know i have not interviewed but the and I'm assuming they used a scientific kind of rating scale. There are several depressive screenings, that kind of thing. So I'm they assuming you, they used that. And that's crazy because I'm assuming what that means is this 32% when they gave them this screening tool again, 
they probably sh- that means they have showed essentially no signs or very little signs correct depression yeah exactly like they basically went into like the quote-unquote like typical category that's kind of crazy isn't that cool yeah. just from following the mediterranean way of eating yeah yeah Okay, so there's this other study. It's also out of Australia. They have – what they did was they looked at young adults slash teenagers, so that, like, older teenager into the early 20s range, and they, same thing, put them on this, like, healthier Mediterranean-like diet for – the study ran for 12 weeks. So then they, they compared those – one group, right, of – young adults eating the Mediterranean-like diet to another group of kids the same exact age, but they didn't make any changes to their diet. So let's just imagine what we think like a teenager slash young 20s might be eating in the U.S., in Australia. It's not that different. Better put my kids in the control group. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what happened, right? Because they they then looked. They compared these two groups. And what they found was that the kids who – ate the modified or ate the Mediterranean diet, aka cleaned up their diet, right? That they improved their depression score from moderate severity to no clinical significance in three weeks. That's huge. In three three weeks. weeks. Yes. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's really amazing. So basically I feel like I don't I mean I haven't tried it in my own children or even in myself but like could you imagine if you were you could really keep it up could keep 24 7 three three weeks weeks. I mean think about all the people that go and they do like a one month you know sprint on a diet in January because it's the new year or they do it in May to get ready for like beach season or lake season or whatever could you imagine you do that and and you fall off the wagon after four weeks, well, you might not have lost the weight you wanted, but there's a really good chance that you improved your mood. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, and kind of on the flip side of this, I was looking kind of at diet approaches from the opposite perspective. What we, what you hear referred to as the Western diet, basically kind of the U.S. diet Mm -hmm. that's low in fruits and vegetables and usually higher in processed foods, higher in like your added sugars and all those less healthy things are the things that we shouldn't be eating as, you know, quite as frequently. Research suggests that dietary patterns higher, that are high in a Western dietary pattern are strongly correlated with an increased risk of developing depression mild cognitive impairment, and ADHD. It makes me wonder, is it, when following the modified Mediterranean diet, is it all the benefits from all those good foods you're eating? Or is it because you're not eating, you're eating less of the junk? And I have to think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. It's got to be somewhere in the middle. The thing that I think is so interesting um, is that basically we just said, okay, eating this one way is going to significantly improve and then eating this other way is going to worsen yeah i can't think of a better word is going to significantly worsen your mental state the other thing that i feel like we need to tell listeners is that the like standard western diet is it's or the western diet is also referred to as the standard american diet mm-hmm. which stands for sad yes. s a D. Yes. Yes. 
So, sad makes you sad. No wonder. You know, this makes you realize we may not be imagining things when we see these prevalence rates rising. Right. When you look at our diet and you look at this connection between the Western diet and mental health or mental wellness. Yeah. So, why do researchers think these diet changes help or don't help, right? So, there are a few potential factors. Yeah, and I, you know, I started asking this question about two years ago when I really got into inflammation and got an interest, and I was like, okay, why are these foods, why are these working? You know, why, trying to understand it from an inflammation perspective, but then I was also looking at the Mediterranean and trying to understand why it works um, and why things like the MIND diet have shown improvements and why things like the DASH diet have shown improvements. And all of these are higher in vegetables and kind of all the good things that are on the Mediterranean diet. And it, They're very Mediterranean-like. Yes, yes. And I kind of found, it kind of boiled down to me to about three things that all these diets were doing. And I would say depending on this, the, like the particular research study that you're looking at, one of these three things that you are about to tell us will pop up as like what researchers will postulate as the potential why. So like, yes, you know, geeky way of putting it, we say like, oh, well, what's the scientific mechanism? Yeah. All right. right, And, And I think it's probably a combination of these three. So the first is getting key nutrients. This modified Mediterranean and other diets like that that are providing these healthy fats and these fruits and vegetables and these lean proteins and fiber. and You they, get more omega-3s. Yes, yes. Um, they are providing the brain in the body with key nutrients that the Western diet is really lacking in mm-hmm. and that a lot of us may be deficient in. Mm-hmm. So that's number one, key nutrients that these that diets like the Mediterranean provide. The second one is you're eating all these fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans and all oh, that is good fiber and good stuff for your gut. We've Which, talked about how key that is. Exactly. Like how important having a healthy gut is. Yes. Was the full focus of our podcast last week. Yes. And, you know, and as we learned, too, your your um, gut needs those fibrous foods to really thrive. But also by cutting out some of this Western diet foods, you know, you are also helping your existing gut to stay alive and thrive as well. Right. So it's kind of two pronged. Um, yeah, two pronged. Thank you. And then the third thing that I found is that these diets essentially work by lowering inflammation in the body, by lowering that chronic inflammation through the body. And it's kind of a synergistic effect usually among these three things that results in the heart improvements you see or the lower risk for depression or, you know, the lower risk for diabetes. They all work together. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, it kind of goes back to or doesn't kind of it goes back to the fact that, like, what helps for your mental health when you look at diet and mental health is the overall way of eating. Right. So we're not saying like, oh, make sure you get more of this particular vitamin or this particular mineral or make sure you're loading up on probiotics. It's it's we're saying, 
okay, the Mediterranean way of eating in combination also with some of this other stuff that people are studying, you know, like as we talked about gut health and probiotics and prebiotics and blah, blah, blah. It's that whole effect. Yes. Is what helps. You know, and I really had a big aha moment where I realized this. Now, granted, I was looking at it from the perspective of inflammation. But, you know, I had written a bunch of articles, you know, all different, you know, some on weight loss, some on connection between diet and autoimmune, heart health, diabetes. I had written a bunch of articles over the year on just various health topics that I felt like were pretty unrelated because they were all unique in symptoms and onset and, and managements for the most part. After this year, when I worked on all these things, I finally took a vacation and I sat down. And I remember kind of thinking through the work I'd done and kind of what I was had on tap for the coming year and all of a sudden it just became so apparent all of these things are benefited by the same thing by a by the same type of diet these same foods these same foods and for me I was thinking my approach was they're all benefiting from an anti-inflammatory diet because they're reducing inflammation and all these are driven by inflammation but my next thought was we don't necessarily need a heart-healthy diet. We don't need all these very specific individualized diets for conditions. We basically need this anti-inflammatory diet or a modified Mediterranean diet because that's really what everybody needs. That's what every kind of health condition benefits from, from the most part. And, like, this is really what my kids need, too, and my parents. So it really spreads the the full gamut of the age. Right. It, yeah, um, it really doesn't discriminate. Yeah. It's yeah. not like, oh, okay, you passed the 30-year mark. Yeah, it's equal now opportunity. you must move into the Mediterranean way of eating. Yes. No. Yes. Well, and, my, and another thought I had is, oh, my gosh, if I could really get my kids to start eating this way now or incorporate, incorporate more of it than I did, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what the benefits might be for their long-term health. Right. You know? Wait. What I also really like about it is that it doesn't feel like as all or nothing, right? So in the sense that, you know, right now I get up in the morning, I have my coffee, I take my medications, I move into my day. At some point it's very important to me that I get my collagen supplement because I'm working on my hair and my skin, you know, priorities here, folks. But with this, it's not like, oh, today I must eat for my mental health. You know, it's like I must get this in for my mental health. No, it's just like what does your diet look like today and the next three days? Like are you striving towards this way of eating? Exactly. It's not about perfection. It's not about a silver bullet. It's not about, you know, feeling bad because – I, you know, had that ice cream sandwich after dinner. You know, did I get my vegetables? Did I get my fruits? Did I eat some whole grains? Did I choose steak today? Sure. Fine. I'll choose salmon another day, you know. But, you know, I also think that's why people struggle with it. Because that, you know, as a dietitian, people want a set meal plan. They want to know exactly what to eat. And they want immediate results. I mean, take it from the perspective of weight loss. They want to see that number change on the scale, and they want to see it pretty change pretty quickly, and they want a meal plan. But, you know, in this case, you know, this is a great example of you don't – it's a general eating pattern that you benefit from. And 
unless you're part of the, a clinical trial, you really aren't going to be able to measure to see that change. But right. you would feel it over but time. But you might feel better, yeah. right? And and this one study at least was three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. I mean, I mean gosh. if That's pretty fast. That's, Yeah. And to get that kind of improvements, that's amazing. Yeah. Plus, you and I both know that there's other research out there that shows that you can use the Mediterranean diet to lose weight, that it helps people keep weight off, maintain their weight if they're obvious if they're at a place where they want to be and they're not trying yeah. or they and they don't want to gain. There's it, links, I think, to pretty much almost every chronic health condition yes. with that the Mediterranean diet can benefit. Go back to that 5,000-plus number of studies, right, that I stumbled upon (laughs) in PubMed. And the thing is, is that they're not all about dietary eating patterns. They're not all about the Mediterranean diet. Like, there are tons of studies that look at specific foods and some foods, too, that aren't necessarily even that, like, every day in the Mediterranean diet. So. Let's like let's dig into a couple of those and you know give listeners just like something to wrap their hands around yeah. about like what can they let's, put in their grocery let's cart? Let's talk about what to eat. That's what we're yeah. doing. I mean, and when we talk, we're, we're going to talk about some foods to eat, but we're also going to talk about why you should be eating them because some of these foods it's for a specific nutrient in there. So let's just get it over with. We got to talk about fruits and vegetables. I know people, my favorite category. <laughs> So there is pretty pretty significant research pointing towards the benefits of fruit and vegetable intake when it comes to mental wellness. I mean, and overall health as well. Yeah. So I kind of dug into the research when it came to specific foods and nutrients. And when I looked at fruits and vegetables... I found a 2019, which was a systematic review and meta-analysis. And a meta-analysis is where they really look at all the big studies out there that exist and compile those results. So you have these studies that have been, you're not looking at an individual study, you are compiling all these results You take their data together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you've got a much larger sample size and it's easier to see overall potential associations. Okay. So here's a couple of things that I found that I thought were really interesting. So total consumption of fruits and vegetables was significantly associated with a reduced risk of depression. And an inverse relationship was observed between fruit and vegetable intake and depression, which means as your consumption of fruits and and vegetables goes up, like the more servings you eat a day, your risk for depression goes down. This also works the other way. As your consumption of fruits and vegetables goes down, your risk for depression goes up. Isn't that crazy? It's cool, though. I it mean, is. It, it's a from, from someone who loves to dig into, you know, the data in research studies, like, it's impressive when you basically get a finding from a study that says the more you eat, the better off you are. The less yeah. you eat, the worse off you are. Like, that doesn't always happen yeah. in science. Well, and I really love the ones where, like, it's something, like, you can really grasp. Like, we're talking about servings of vegetables. We're not talking about micronutrients. You know, we're not right. talking about crazy things that you can't really see. Um, we're talking about servings of fruits and vegetables. So, if you liked that, you're about to love what I'm going to tell you. 
So then they broke it down to look at fruits and then vegetables individually. And for every 100 gram increase in vegetables, they found a 5% reduction in risk for depression. Okay. What is 100 grams? Because first of all, we're not on the metric system. And second of all, my brain does not work that way. I knew you were going to ask that. So, okay. So 100 grams. So you add 100 grams of vegetables and you have a 5% risk in (laughs) risk reduction for depression 100 grams when i looked it up this is about half a cup of of steamed broccoli this is a small sweet potato this is about one and a half cups of like raw spinach leaves done this isn't a ton no i covered all of that yesterday yes and if you're eating five servings of vegetables you know this that's almost a 25 percent risk reduction and did they say anything about variety? Like, it doesn't look like they talked about variety. So, frankly, if you wanted to one day eat a whole bunch of broccoli and then tomorrow eat a whole bag of snap peas. Yeah. You know, they didn't specifically address variety. I'm sure that's a dyna- dynamic in there. I think the problem, though, where you get into trouble with not having variety is, like, not what you said, but, like, if you eat a whole bunch of broccoli every single day. Right. And that's all you eat. Right. You know? But I think, you know, okay, let's say you are, I am loving cauliflower right now. You know? But then the next day, I am loving my leafy greens. You know, it's kind of what you went back to. Like, look at in the span of, like, three days or three to four days. You know? Overall, are you getting a variety? Don't get hung up on the variety every single day day necessarily or what what are your thoughts on that no I'm with you I totally agree because I think it's stressful like the reason I asked the question is I think it's stressful to think like oh I have to have a little bit of broccoli and a little bit of sweet potato and a little bit of spinach all in one day now if I'm eating out at a restaurant you know for two meals yeah I'm not going to order the peas at both lunch and dinner but I usually I'm cooking at home and so like if I'm going to go through the process of like roasting some squash you can bet I'm going to be eating that for lunch the next day. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Or if I'm going to buy, like, leafy greens, I'm probably going to eat those, you know, within a two- to three-day period just because I don't want them to go bad. Right. Yeah. And I will say one of my tricks, and then we can move on to the the fruit thing because I love fruit and I don't want to ignore that one. But um, one of my tricks when I go to the store each week or lately I've been doing a lot of um, shipped. But anyway, so I don't have to go to the grocery mm. store, you know, trying to reduce my exposure. One of the things I try to do, though, is I try to make sure that, let's say, you know, each week that I go, I vary the vegetables and the fruits that I put in my basket. Yes. So there's, in my house, there's always going to be kale and there's almost always going to be raspberries in my grocery cart. But raspberries have been so good lately. They've been so good. And strawberries. Now, I have to say, I've tried so many times, I struggle with the kale. You're not the only dietitian I know. There's another dietitian who I will leave her completely unnamed who also works in the same media space that we do sometimes. And, yeah, she's a kale hater. I mean, I love other leafy greens. I eat baby spinach all day. No. And, I mean, and you have to massage it? I mean, anything I have have to massage. If I'm – yeah, I don't have time to massage my own shoulders. I'm not massaging a vegetable. I think that massaging the kale actually probably lowers my anxiety even more. I mean, come on, Carolyn. 
I'm just saying. Um, there's always kale in our cart. Try it. Okay. I'm but proud of you. Some weeks we might have, you know, asparagus and Brussels sprouts, and but then if I know that, right? I know what I ate. Yeah. So then when I go the next week, I'm like, all right, let's try a different one. You know, yeah. zucchini and tomatoes. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's my yeah. approach. Yeah. So I like it. Moving well, okay. on. What they find fruit. about fruit? Thank goodness for fruit. Sometimes I feel like that's the only way my kids stay alive. But okay, so. I mentioned the 100 grams of vegetables was associated with 5% risk reduction. The fruit was pretty significant too. Not quite as high as vegetables, but for every 100 gram increase in fruit, there was a 3% risk reduction for depression. Now, 100 grams of fruit, what the heck? How much is that? Well, it's like half of a medium apple. That is like a half cup half to two-thirds cups of raspberries or blueberries. You can do that. I did that right before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. My raspberries. Yeah. On top of my cottage cheese that had probiotics in it. I mean, I'm knocking it out of the park over here, Yeah, you're making me look really bad. Sorry. I love a meta-analysis. I don't know about you, just from a nerdy researcher standpoint when I'm writing because it pulls everything together for me. Yes, I know. There's so much information all in one The numbers are so great because it's such a large sample size. And, you know, they've gone through and they say, we excluded these because they weren't legit or they weren't, you know, we didn't have what, you know, what we needed here. And you don't have somebody coming back to you. I mean, in my case, it's usually an editor. In this case, maybe a listener that comes back and is like, I mean, this study... It's just one study, which is true, right? Right. But that's the benefit of a meta-analysis. Love it. Love it. Okay, so why, Briarly, do you think fruits and vegetables have this powerful effect, prevention effect? Because it's my favorite nutrient. (laughs) Fiber. That's my guess. Yes. Well, I think think it's, again, it's kind of like those three things we mentioned. Going back to the the nutrients, the inflammation, and the gut health. But I think gut health is a really key one here. Yeah. It's the fiber in those fruits and vegetables, and that's where variety does matter, particularly with gut health. So it's the fiber and supporting the gut health. I think that's a really big reason why they're seeing the positive results with the fruit and vegetable intake. Well, and fruits and veggies also are, like, jam-packed with antioxidants and Antioxidants are the compounds in produce, right, that scavenge up all those harmful free radicals and help then lower our, like, overall chronic inflammation. Yes. They scavenge up the free radicals, and free radicals are those unpaired electrons, ions, unpaired. They're just like these things running around your body. And they're trying to, like, damage your cells, mutate your cells. And so antioxidants will come in and stop them. So that's why you want to have lots of antioxidants. And antioxidants aren't just in fruits and vegetables, but that's where they, those foods are the really kind of the most dense. The other thing that fruits and vegetables have going for them is something called phytochemicals. And these are, here's my Nutrition 101 definition, these are bioactive compounds that are only found in plant foods that usually act like antioxidants or a lot of them do act like antioxidants in the body or anti-inflammatory have anti-inflammatory effects but there's a lot we don't know about them and they're only found in plant foods and so there's a lot of these phytochemicals you know are adding to that protection that the antioxidants are already giving so basically there's a trifecta 
of amazingness in fruits and vegetables that really like triples down on improving our mental wellness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't touch on the nutrients, but yeah, they're loaded with nutrients. And a lot of the nutrients they're loaded in are going to be like vitamin C, which is one of your antioxidants. Mm -hmm. They're the trifecta. All right. Let's move on to your favorite topic of conversation. What would that be? It's not fish. fish. (laughs) You couldn't understand the thick sarcasm that I just put on there? That's the Yankee in me. I want to like it so bad. Okay. So unfortunately for Carolyn, fortunately for me... Fish also has some amazing, powerful benefits when it comes to our mental wellness. Yes. So, yeah, you can't ignore what fish have. And But I do want to uh, – well, let me just share some stats that I found that I thought were really interesting. This was a, from a 2019 review of current research in, glo- in a, the Global Health Journal. And then um, some of the things I'm going to share were also from the Harvard Health Review about their recommendations for omega-3 specifically in regard to mood disorders. But let me share some of the research first. So countries with low levels of fish intakes have higher rates of depression. Countries with higher intakes of fish like South Korea and Japan have lower rates of depression. Now that just may be, you know, you can't say that's definitely a cause, but it sure is interesting. But there was a meta-analysis. Again. Yes. Of 31 observational studies. So it included overall, when they pulled all this this data, over 20,000 individuals. And what they found is that there is an association between fish consumption, omega-3 intake, and depression. Specifically, fish consumption significantly reduced risk of depression and what they call a linear dose response which means the more fish you eat the more your risk goes down so back to similar with fruits and vegetables the more the better the less the worse the less you eat the worse off you are yes okay so i do have a question for you did they talk at all about mercury and some specific populations you know like when i was you know pregnant or trying to get pregnant and when my kids were younger you know, worrying, even now with at least one of them, worrying about mercury and, you know, where, what kinds of fish they're eating as a result. That's a great question. Fish is confusing these days. And I've had people ask me that, like, do I really need to eat fish? Because they're worried, they've heard about the mercury and they're worried about it. So, well, first thing, the fish that we're really talking about, it's the omega-3s in the fish that are really beneficial that you really that you're really wanting to get and most of those omega-3s are going to be from your fattier fish fat they're usually your cold water fish that are in cold water they have that extra fat in them to keep the little fishies warm when they're swimming in the ice cold water it's your tuna it's your (laughs) salmon it's your anchovies and sardines it's your i'm forgetting uh like your trout your rainbow trout so your fish that you know are very very lean we aren't really necessarily talking about them so much because they have much lower levels of omega-3s. Right. But I, I have wondered before, is it really is it really worth eating fish to get these benefits? And I'm not saying, right. Like, like is yeah. the mercury and, and other, you know, potentially harmful yeah. items. Contaminants. Contaminants. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. So, Contaminants. Like, do, does that make it? Yeah, too risky. Mercury is a heavy metal that's a contaminant that is in fish or in some fish more so than others. 
And it's been linked or associated with certain health conditions. And when I was doing my inflammation research, it's considered kind of a, something that can trigger inflammation in the body. And they think that's how it actually leads to some of these health conditions that it's been associated with. But research suggests that there are certain fish that have much lower mercury amounts. And the FDA and EPA actually have a guide for, they call it your best, better, and good choices. And really, you want to eat off the best list. Mm -hmm. It is beneficial if you are eating from this best list. It is beneficial to eat these fish. And they do, but they do give you specific guidelines. I believe it's like twice, like two servings a week. Now, if you're eating from the better list, you know, kind of the mediocre, the middle one, they say, yes, it's still beneficial, but limit your servings to these particular fish to once a week. Back to that, it's mainly your fatty fish, and it's mainly your fatty fish because they have the omega-3 fatty acids. So your benefits from the fish are primarily coming from omega-3s, but it's primarily two certain omega-3s. EPA and DHA. And I know this is getting kind of heavy, but I'm only bringing these up because if you need to buy a supplement, like I do, you need to know what to look for on that supplement bottle. That's right. That's right. Because the third type of omega-3 is not, it's plant-based. Mm -hmm. It's AHA. And it, our bodies need that, but the research doesn't point to the same benefits as with EPA and DHA. Yes. Okay, so can we get off fish for a second and just talk about the omega-3s? We can, but hold on. There's one more thing okay. I want to say. Like, overall, I know I, I kind of, like, asked the question as if I didn't really know the answer about mercury. Oh, yeah. But in general, most of the experts that I've spoken to over the years have said that the benefits of eating fish outweigh the risks. With yes. the exception of, like, the do not eat very high mercury, yes. you know, shark, orange roughy, those. But that the benefits really do. So if you like fish, eat it. Yes, please do. Be mindful of, you know, the ones that are high in mercury, yes. the ones that you should only eat once a week, that sort of thing. And but I just don't want people to be scared no, of fish no. because it's – You get more benefit from fish if you are – particularly if you are making sure not to eat one of the higher mercury fish. Right. And, you know, it, it is good to be mindful. The recommendation, they encourage this for pregnant women as well. Now, the guidelines may be a little stricter or amounts may be a little stricter. They're a little same for children. Right. But still, if you are choosing these fish that are lower in mercury or low in mercury, the benefits outweigh the risk, when, when you, especially when you follow the recommendations for servings per week. So, and we can put in the show notes, we can put a link to the recommendations for amounts and types yeah. of fish. Have you ever seen that best, each better week? look? I have seen it, yeah. And then the other thing, and so I think that would be really valuable, we can link to. And then the other thing is we can offer up a list of fish and seafood that's high in omega threes. And I oh, yeah. say and I say fish and seafood because one of the things I didn't realize is that oysters are actually oh, yeah. like a great source of omega threes. Yeah. I had no idea until I like I, really got I into oysters. They are like one in particular because they have the zinc too. Mm-hmm. All right. Away from the fish. Okay. And into the omega threes. Okay. Now I do. I, I'm not crazy about fish, but I do love some omega threes, and that's where the benefits primarily come right. um, from fish. Um, other than that, fish is a great lean protein source, and it's got some key vitamins and nutrients. But these omega threes fits into the Mediterranean way of eating. It does. Okay. So 
Here's a little bit. I did a quick kind of review of research. Um, you know, I feel like forever we heard about omega-3s only in relation to heart health. We did. You know? And I we always did. used to think, oh, you know, I was in my 20s then. I was like, heart health. Oh, you yeah. Know. No. Yeah. You're not. No, you're not thinking about heart health in your 20s. Well, I wish I'd been thinking about omega-3s in my 20s, but we didn't know all that we know now. But a lack of omega-3s in the diet has been linked to an elevated risk of developing a variety of mental disorders, including depression, dementia, schizophrenia, bipolar, ADD, ADHD, a whole host of them. Pretty that's much. a long list. Yeah. And that's not an exclusive list. Like, there's others. Right. I cut it down for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, why? It looks like omega-3s, when people ask me the top anti-inflammatory nutrient, it's by far omega-3s. They are key anti-inflammatory agents in the body. Depression, the pathophysiology of it, um, appears to be driven somewhat by inflammation. So inflammation, maybe you have some depression. It's not, I'm not saying it's caused by inflammation, but inflammation can drive and make the depression progress. Why are omega-3s so beneficial or potentially beneficial when it comes to promoting mental wellness. And it goes back to their anti-inflammatory effects. Now, I know you're probably wondering, why does being an anti-inflammatory, how does that relate to depression? And the reason is depression appears to be driven or pushed along by chronic inflammation in the body. I'm not saying that inflammation necessarily triggers depression, but it's certainly not helping it. It's kind of like this irritant that's going along, that's kind of, you know, in the background of your body. And, you know, as that inflammation builds, it's kind of pushing along any kind of chronic condition you have, whether that's depression or diabetes or heart disease. It can help perpetuate it. Yes. Is that what you're saying? That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so for the lady who does not like fish mm-hmm. and she loves her some omega-3s, We've talked about it before. You take supplements. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you well enough to know that you have dug deep into how to buy the right omega-3 supplement. Yes. So now, let me also say the, the, the research studies are not – they range from showing significant effects from supplementation to very little or no effect. So I'm just going to put that out there. But I will also put out there – I feel like this is one supplement. You know, a lot of times you take supplements and you're like, uh, I don't know if it's doing anything. I feel like this is one supplement where I can tell a noticeable difference in my children. Yeah. you. I mean, you and I have talked about it, you know, offline. Like you are a huge proponent because you you feel like you've seen big, noticeable improvements. Yes. Just, you know, using you and your kids almost as like guinea pigs. Yeah. Yeah. So what research does, what what the studies have looked at is that most studies have supplemented with 600 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams. And that seems to be the range in which there is some level of benefit being observed. Going beyond 2,000 milligrams um, or excessively higher, significantly higher than that, has not shown to have really many in, um, additional benefits. So we're looking at 600 to 2,000. And the type matters, okay? And this is why I brought up that EPA and DHA. Harvard Health recommends that if you're taking a supplement, that about 60% 
be from EPA. Okay, and then about 40% from DHA. DHA, it concentrates in the gray matter of your brain and your eyes. EPA, the one you're supposed to have 60% off, doesn't become part of the brain structure or part of the brain cells. Instead, EPA reduces that inflammation in the brain and it helps to balance the metabolic pathways. Now, I don't even want to get into that, but like that means like your neurotransmitters and all those, those gears that are supposed to be operating properly, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters and chemicals going on in your brain. So EPA helps with that. And this is why you need both of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. The other yes. thing, too, is that sometimes, oh, well, not sometimes, but the other thing is that EPA can convert into DHA yes. in the body, <clears throat> but it doesn't go the other way around. Correct. But you obviously need EPA in parts of the brain, and you need DHA in parts of the brain, hence why we need both. And the nice part, going back to fish, because remember, I'm the fish advocate over here. I'm not anti-supplement. I just, I really like some fish, is you get EPA and DHA in, you get you get both, you get both. in, in yeah. fish. And Shows seafood. you, yeah. I mean, yeah. food is usually your perfect source to get stuff. Yes, but, but not always. Yeah. But anyway, as you were saying, make sure that your supplement delivers both. EPA and DHA, mm-hmm. and you want it to have 60% EPA relative to DHA. Yes. Okay. Yes. So All right. I'm look following. For that. We take, I think we take around, I'm going to say 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams a day, and we I found one that has that EPA, DHA breakdown. Mm-hmm. We all take it across the board in my family, not recommending anything, but I, people always ask me um, yeah. what we're taking. And it is, like I mentioned, it's one of those where I feel like I have seen a noticeable difference, particularly in my son that has ADHD. He's also taken the omega-3s along with medication, not at the same time, but it's been very noticeable, the positive benefits. In fact, whenever I realize sometimes, like, whenever, you know, he's having a behavior issue or just something, and I'm like, why is he doing this? And I realize, uh, I've been slacking on the omega-3s. Now, it, it that is not a that is not so far from a randomized control study. <laughs> right, that could totally be a placebo effect as the as like through the mother lens. But the thing right. is, is that as parents, when we see something good or worrisome in our children, we always want to go back and say, okay, what could we do to promote that? What could we do to change that? And and if you have seen benefits in giving your kids omega-3 supplements and you want to keep doing it, but then my my question or any question of any parent or, or health professional, I would say, is like, okay, are there risks? Okay, this is the nice thing about omega-3s, and you can't say this about all vitamins or nutrients or things out there. Low, really minimal to no risk other than maybe having fishy burps. Well, first, fishy burps are gross. Yeah. I, I don't have to have with mine. I don't, I don't know. Point is, is that there is potentially great benefit, very little risk. Yeah. And the other thing is, we know there's a definite benefit to these omega-3s, whether you get it from fish or first, or from a supplement, for like heart health. You know, oh, it, yeah. It's not just, it's not just you're taking it for mental wellness and hoping it works. It's benefiting a host of other things. Correct. And there are so many other nutrients that we are going to share next week. So join us for our next episode and find out Carolyn's favorite supplement that actually has been her go-to long before it was popular. We're also going to cover what we eat to help us with managing stress, our little mom truth moment, and also when it comes to treating burnout. 
Plus, we will break down even more of the food mood connection for you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. We appreciate all the love that we've been getting and we're loving all the questions, so keep them coming. Plus, if you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on iTunes and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.